Hey there, welcome to Sales Unbound, brought to you by Sales Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Ovi Negrian, co-founder of Socialbee, a social media management tool that empowers its users to share content across multiple social networks from one place. They're fully remote, uh, frequently ship awesome new features, and I'm super excited to see how they grow and what they're up to. So welcome to the podcast, Obi. Thanks, Anna. It's really great being here. Okay, it's awesome. Well, and I have to uh, admit, so I am the customer of Social Bee, and I love it. Um, so first thing that it does for me is that um, I'm in Turkey, and maybe that's the... the uh, thing that is the problem somehow with Twitter, I don't know, but it doesn't work for me mostly, like maybe 20% of the time. And social B gives me an opportunity to post there still, you know, I don't engage there, but I post. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, by the way, you have, uh, you have this new feature, but I'll, I'll ask about it later. And the second one, the second coolest thing that social B does for me is that, for example, we're doing this episode right and tomorrow I'll go and edit it and upload it on YouTube and I will have like a certain mindset about it right and I will be in a certain mood about the the episode and what you you're talking about and I can right away like capture that and make it into a post and no matter when it's going to be live I can still you know post it with the same mindset and the same mood going on so it's kind of, it's, it's really cool. So thank you for a great tool. Yeah. Thank you for using it. I, I did not know that you're also a, a social B uh, users, but I'm really happy to yep. hear that. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So that, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't my pitch before the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it's cool to have you here. Can we maybe start with your background? Yeah, so originally I'm a developer by, by background, but I haven't written a line of code in many years now. I just know, I still know enough to be, uh, to know what the technical parts are about and enough to, uh, to make my, uh, co-founder and CTO a bit angry sometimes because I also try to give like some technical suggestions. And then he keeps reminding me that I haven't written a line of code in many years and things have changed since then, which is a fair point. Um, but then I uh, went on to to do to be a team lead, um, and I then also uh, started a software company in Romania for a Belgian uh, software company, so their Romanian branch. Uh, but I always had this uh, nagging feeling of wanting to start something on my own. And at one point, I um, managed to save enough money from my corporate jobs to be able to. Uh, give entrepreneurship a, a real try because throughout the years I always had like side uh, gigs or side ideas that I was playing with, but they never took off probably because also they were side gigs. And also honestly, probably because I was not good in, enough or I did not learn enough of the things that I would had, uh, I had to know uh, to turn those into a successful business. Um, but eventually we did uh, together with my co-founder, we said, okay, let's give this a real try. And we started working full-time on what was the previous um idea before social be actually okay all right so that's a good point so you're as far as i remember the executive b of the company <laughs> exactly right uh, we don't like to take ourselves too seriously so yes i'm the chief executive b of uh, social b 
Okay, I remember uh, talking with uh, David Hansen about this and the, the early stage of, of Basecamp, they also had like this um, fun titles like uh, General Ninja President or, or something. And uh, at some point then they decided that maybe they have to go back to normal titles because uh, socially it's just, it's just better received. So how do you feel about it? Do you, do you have the normal titles as well? We do. Uh, and we haven't, we, we probably are somewhere in between now, uh, where, uh, we, we have both, um, for me, it's, it's a bit sad that you need to have these formal titles and that you cannot be a bit more playful in this business world. But I can under, also understand that some people prefer to put you like in a clear bucket that they know and understand. And of course, CEO is better known than chief executive B. Uh, so we, we basically try to use both depending on the context. Right. Okay. All right. Well, it, it sounds like uh, you're having fun with the business and uh, I want to jump right into um, your customer communication because, uh, of course, I um, crawled around the internet looking for what people say and, you know, is there any dirt? Uh, but there is none. Like on G2, you have like this staggering four and eight uh, rate. Right. And people are super excited to talk about you. They share videos and, and reviews and whatnot. And um, as far as I saw on the website, you are very active in communication, right? You, you have all kinds of uh, videos and tutorials and webinars and all that. So what part does customer communication play in the growth of socially? So we've always been very customer centric and we try to make sure that we give the best experience to our customers and that we uh, make good for them. We we try to also have like a good uh, quality to price ratio where probably we're uh, underpriced at this moment. Um, and um, we always try to go above and beyond uh, with supporting our customers. For example, we'll still do one-on-one -on -one calls with uh, leads with people who are in trial, with customers, even with uh, people that have been with us for a very long period of time or people who uh, are, are just recently uh, checking us out and we can jump on multiple calls if needed. So we really have this built into our, uh, our culture that we do uh, want to help. Uh, and I guess this then uh, is, is seen and felt by our customers and they reward us with these uh, positive reviews. Um, of course, there's always room for improvement and also our app sometimes um, uh, some some areas need improvement and we like to get the feedback from our customers because of that uh, and to know what we should focus on and what we should improve some things we're working on already some things are on our roadmap uh, and um, but it's always striving to to be better uh, be better is one of our values but be better for our uh, customers as well okay i did have one lag uh, when, when I was posting, but it turned out, and I was posting on LinkedIn, but it turned out, you know, I, I went on LinkedIn and I was like, okay, maybe I'll just post there right away because I wanted to post right away. Um, and it turned out that it's the same, well, not a problem, but like a bit of a twitch uh, with, that, um, uh, with that thing on LinkedIn itself. So, I probably shouldn't complain to you, but I will maybe <laughs> after <laughs> after the podcast. 
Please do. Uh, even now, uh, all of the emails that we send out to our tens of thousands of people that we have in our uh, email list come from my personal email address. And it really is my personal email address. It's the same one that we used to communicate and so on. And a lot of people uh, do reply and we always encourage them to reply uh, because this way I can also keep my um, hand on the pulse of, of what's happening and how our customers are, are perceiving us. But also um, customers can know that they can escalate when things uh, don't go how, how they expect it. They can reach out to me or they can reach out to our whole team uh, if they have any problems. And we always listen. Sometimes we don't, don't agree. Maybe some people have a very specific need, a very specific feature that they would like. Or maybe sometimes that feature we think is maybe a bit on the shady side and we don't want to do that, of course, because we depend on the APIs of all of the social networks. So we try to be a good guardians of that. Uh, but we always listen. And whenever we hear something um, coming from multiple uh, sources, then we really pay attention and we we try to to make that a priority as well. Oh, that's perfect. You know, pe well, people love to to get right away to the person that makes the decision. It just makes it so much more trustworthy and serious for them, and just I, I think it opens a lot of doors. And uh, I remember how I um, I decided to uh, reply an email from the founder of ADP List one of my favorite mentorship platforms. And then he replied and I was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I can totally uh, see what, what you're doing there. Okay, perfect. So, um, uh, and I'm kind of jumping from one thing to another, but it's something that um, I've seen when I started um, using Social Bee and um, you've introduced AI. Um, post-generation AI tool, right? And now, I think just a couple of weeks ago, right, you've also introduced this engage module. So is it um, just getting back to, to the trends that are going on right now? Or was it um, also coming from the customer communication? Uh, it's a bit of both. So uh, the two uh, examples that you gave are two quite different and distinct um, cases. So I will talk about each of them individually. The engage module is basically a, a unified social inbox type of functionality. This has been our most requested functionality since almost since we started. But we we didn't have enough resources to really build it properly because that's a product in its own. And we are actually treating it as a product in its own. And we actually had a couple of false starts in building this product before, but it was difficult both on a technical level because you really need to synchronize a lot of uh, data with all of the network providers which work in different ways and so on. So there's a bit of a technical challenge there as well. And then we also didn't get the UX right the first time around. So we had the UX, we built it, we started implementing it, and then something didn't feel right. And we went back to the drawing board. Um, but now uh, we started maybe some one year ago to have a sub team that was dedicated specifically on the engage module. Uh, and it was quite a big uh, effort on, on our end, but we managed to release the beta version. And now uh, we have uh, more networks that we keep adding uh, uh, on a regular basis and more functionality. Plus we iron out all of the bugs that we, uh, we are finding through the beta program. And then uh, uh, once everything will be ready, it will be probably a sub-product uh, on its own. So this has been long in the making. We really thought of, uh, a lot about it and so on. 
on the AI part, it was a bit opportunistic, I would say, uh, because uh, after uh, GPT 3.5, which is ChatGPT, um, two things happened. Um, one, the tools got much better. So as anybody who used ChatGPT uh, for the first time, it's basically like magic. Uh, and once you see that, you really want that uh, in your app. Um, and we we saw that it's uh, it's something that we can implement through OpenAI's uh, API. We looked at different APIs, but we thought it's better to go with them because they felt like they will be uh, the leader in the space or definitely one of the top players, which for sure they are. Um, but we also tried to make it as easy uh, and as usable as possible because everything about AI starts with the prompt. So if you don't have good prompts, you won't have good uh, results. So what we actually did is that we hand curated and created a list of over 1,000 posts, uh, prompts that are specifically for social media. We split them into, I think, like some 20 categories or something like that. Uh, and we added them to a UI where you can just also hit a shuffle button and we give you a random prompt and maybe you can use that one. Or if you know specifically what type of content you want to generate, you go in that specific category and pick one of the prompts. Um, or you can even uh, save your favorite prompts or create your own prompts and save those as well for easy use for, uh, for a future version. Um, these are uh, some updates that we just released uh, a few days ago. Uh, and also a few days ago, we implemented uh, the possibility to, to generate images uh, through through prompts. Now, the image generation part of OpenAI is not uh, the best out there. There are some others that are uh, better. So sometimes the results are quite funny, but we are still banking on the fact that OpenAI and from also what we're hearing, they have something in the works which will make the image generation part as good as the text generation part. Uh, and by that time, we will just have it uh, and it, it will work for uh, all of our customers. Uh, so the AI part was more, okay, this is very important. It's taking the world by storm. Let's disregard whatever we had on our roadmap and, and just focus on this. While the engage is something that we've been consistently working for over one year now. Okay. All right. That's super exciting. Now, uh, I, w I want to stop this and then just go and try. <laughs> but, but yeah, super cool. Okay. So... Um, the um, engage module was something that that the customers wanted. Um, so do you think this is like the biggest feature that was kind of demand generated, or was there something else as crucial? I think this was the biggest features that was generated by a subset of our customers. So uh, larger companies and agencies. That's the type of customer that really needs this. Um, if you're a solopreneur or if you're a smaller company, usually you would want to have the problem of too many mentions and too many comments, uh, but but that's uh, um, lots of time not the case. But for the agency um, crowd, we we lacked this, and our product was not complete until we for them until we we had this. So this why uh, this was uh, quite important. Before this, we also worked on our analytics module, which. We had some analytics, but they weren't good enough uh, in the first years. Uh, but some two or three years ago, we really revamped them, uh, revamped them and uh, made them. Uh, they, they have all of the data that they need. They look good. And of course, there's still room for improvement. And we have some of that improvement on our roadmap, uh, but it's quite a powerful module. So I would say this was definitely the most requested feature uh, for um, for agencies. And then we have all sorts of features and our roadmap is also public. Uh, we have a public trailer roadmap where people can upvote, comment, suggest things and so on. 
Um, and it's always hard to make, to prioritize because usually you tend to listen to the loudest voice while the loudest voice is not necessarily the voice that's shared by the most of your customers. And then it also really depends on the priorities that you have on how much it takes in time or money or resources to build that functionality. So for example, um, with all of the things, because you mentioned Twitter, with all of the things that are happening with Twitter now, a lot of people are talking about uh, Mastodon. And we keep an eye out on Mastodon, but the volume of people talking about Mastodon is not reflected in the number of customers or users Mastodon has. So that's why we keep uh, uh, looking out to see if it will really pick up. But so far, because we didn't see it pick up, and we do have a few vocal uh, voices who tell us that they want it and they need it, but we didn't see it in the, in the general data that it is such a big need. So because of that, we are keeping an eye out, but we haven't started working on it. Now, who knows? Priorities can change and uh, it could become something big and then we will just drop everything that we're doing to implement it. Uh, but for now, uh, we always try to strive to, to listen to the people, but not only to the loudest ones, but also to see how we can positively affect as many of our customers as possible. Right. Yeah. And I, I wanted to, to talk about uh, the way you build in public, but I also wanted to ask what if there was a feature that, you know, was really, really requested uh, by the customers or the users. And then it turned out to be not a success and you had to retrieve it. I'm trying to, to see if something comes to mind uh, right now. We do have some functionality that we started with from day one, where it's more about finding the right audience on Twitter specifically, uh, where we, we still have a few people that are using it intensely, but social media has changed and it's not that used anymore. So uh, we actually also decided to retire that functionality. And how we did it at first is by just doing like a soft, what would be the reverse of a soft launch, like a soft retire, where we just removed that uh, menu item uh, from uh, from the menu. And we wanted to see how many people will complain about that. And we just got right. a handful of people, not even that maybe. Uh, so it was something that we spent a lot of time building in the early days, but it had no more relevance in today's social media uh, term. So this is something that we should be doing uh, more often, to be honest, to retire old functionality. Um, but this was one case where we did and uh, it worked okay. Okay. And um, by the way, how affected are you by the changes in Twitter API? Let me get back to you <laughs> on that uh, in a few months. Um, normally, um, again, we've been following this space extremely closely. Um, we built all sorts of um, systems in place to make sure that we are not affected. Currently, uh, we think that our customers will not be affected by this. We will be slightly affected. We will incur some, some cost, uh, but hopefully um, if all goes as we planned, uh, customers will not be affected. And we have all sorts of, all sorts of backup plans that we built throughout this. And this is something that we've learned throughout times. Each time there's a, a problem, it's just an opportunity com to come out stronger at the other uh, other side. Uh, also coming uh, back to Twitter, 
I, I still remember, I think we were in year one or something like that, where we had some accounts that were using social B in a bit of a shady way, and we didn't have any uh, fail-safes in place to not allow them to do that. So, and, and Twitter at one point caught our API access. And I thought like, that's it, we're dead. Uh, and we'll go back and find a new job and uh, it's, it's the end of it. Um, but we, we managed to, to pull through, we managed to get our access back. Uh, we managed to build better systems uh, to make sure that we don't have that problem anymore. And this type of thing happened a few times throughout our existence. So right now I just feel like, okay, it's another Tuesday. Let's see how we can overcome this challenge. And knock on wood so far, we managed to overcome all of the challenges. And usually we came out stronger at the other end for them. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades, all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay. Uh, it, the reason I asked uh, is because, uh, well, there are a lot of brands that are really affected uh, by the changes. And uh, what I've heard is there is a new um, European regulation called DMA, if I'm not mistaken, which is supposed to change that and um, give back all the access. Uh, but yeah, I can probably give you some details, uh, after, after the episode. So, um, back to you. And I wanted to ask about the additional services that you offer, right? You've got concierge service and, um, funnily enough, I, I've just, uh, talked about, um, like additional services to product, uh, with another founder, right? And, uh, we were trying to think about the way to properly price it, right? Should uh, the product be really cheap, but then, you know, you get access to all this talent that can, for example, write articles or posts for you. Or on the other hand, uh, you know, you just create this um, general price for, and, and then you have full access to everything, great product and and the talent. So uh, why did you introduce the service in the first place and how are you pricing it? The short answer is by necessity. We had to introduce it um, because we started Social B with the idea to just have like a classical uh, SaaS. Um, but um, something unfortunate actually happened. Uh, my co-founder, he went into a surgery which didn't turn out well, and he had to be uh, in bed for, for a few uh, months, actually, and he actually had to learn to walk again, uh, which was quite challenging for him, but uh, he overcame that uh, uh, as well. Um, but at that point, we, we had enough code to, to 
have something that can be used if we added a bit of a service on top of it. So because of that, we just added the service on top of it. And that's how we were able to find the first customers. And it was a blessing in disguise uh, having this uh, additional uh, business line because it's so hard to, to um, create any decent MRR by having a $10 or $20 per month product. You really need a ton of those users. And as a bootstrapped uh, startup, um, we, we had our savings, but there weren't a lot of savings. So we had to like really uh, grow the MRR. But with the services, you can definitely charge a, a much um, a bigger amount for that. But even with that in mind, we always knew that, okay, we have these services, but they're productized. We are not an agency. We don't do all of the things that you want. But if you uh, are okay with the specific things that we do do, then um, that will come at a, a good price, at a fair price. We have procedures for, for that in place. We have uh, trainings and systems to, to find people um, to, to deliver those services and so on. Um, and basically, this is also what ha helped us really survive in the first years where the MRR from the services was 90 plus percent uh, when we started. Uh, and then, of course, it shifted. And now the, the tool is what brings in more MRR. Um, how we think about it is there both independent, but they are made uh, stronger together. So basically, uh, also on, on, on your question about the pricing, um, it really depends. I would have to know a bit more about that specific business. But in our case, uh, we have a big majority of our customers that are just using the tools. And then some, sometimes uh, maybe for, for a few months or maybe uh, uh, for a longer period, they uh, take one or more of our services, depending on their needs and depending on their budgets as well. Uh, but we are even more so now really trying to think about them as two different businesses, two separate businesses. Um, and we still want to see synergies between them, but they should both live uh, on, on their own and be able to strive on their own. Okay. And uh, then uh, back to product, what was the uh, most difficult feature to build and maintain apart from the engage module? Um, there's a, a saying in Alice in Wonderland that uh, you need to run as far as you can to just stay in the same uh, spot. And if you want to move forward, you need to run twice as fast, uh, which basically describes what it means to have to implement on top of the APIs of all of these social networks. Um, because there's always uh, change uh, in those APIs that always, especially after the Cambridge Analytica a fiasco that happened some some years ago. Again, we had some problems with APIs and the whole industry had that for, for a few weeks until things got sorted out. Um, but there's always changes that you need to do just to have the same functionality that you had already. Um, so I wouldn't say that that's hard, but it's something that we always have to have uh, time budgeted for in our roadmap. And it's something that our customers don't really get to like benefit from. I mean, they need that. It's it's a, it's a must for us to be on the latest APIs. But for them, it worked before. It worked now. They wouldn't understand why we spend maybe a few months on, on that uh, when uh, nothing changed from their point of view. But it's something that's of course crucial to what we do, and we always have to stay in line both with the latest APIs and with the latest security and uh, risk assessments and and. Um, calls with the networks and so on to stay uh, compliant. Okay. I wonder if, if there is a possibility to somehow automate 
um, this, this part of business, because there are a lot of uh, companies that are built with uh, a lot of APIs and, and different kinds of integrations. So is there a way to just automate the changes and uh, the upgrades? I think there is, but if you really want to have full control over this side of your business, which is core to our business, I think you have to do it yourself. Okay. All right. And uh, what's so far for you the biggest business expense? What has been the most, uh, again, expensive to build or, or maybe expensive to maintain, including um, HR? I mean, for sure, most of our... Uh... Most of our expense go towards uh, our team. Um, but when you asked about that, there was one payment which came to mind. Um, for many years, we were socialb.io because as a scrappy startup, you just buy the free domain that's available. And we liked the name socialb and the socialb.io domain was available. But um, late last year, we bought socialb.com, uh, which... Um, as a bootstrap entrepreneur, uh, it it was uh, strange to give the price of a, uh, a small car to for a domain, uh, but uh, we wanted to to basically show that okay, we've also been through this for many years. We've also like uh, grown a lot, and uh, we were able to to get the .com domain, and we moved over to that domain um, a few a few months ago. Of course, this uh, this was a one-off thing, but on a monthly basis, um, biggest expenses are definitely the team. Uh, we have a lot of affiliates, so there's a lot of money going towards uh, the affiliates as well. And then all sorts of smaller expenses like the AWS uh, bill, which is also quite big, uh, and all sorts of tools that we're using left and right. Right. What do you think about this uh, recent trend of moving, or maybe it's it's not a trend yet, but uh, people are talking about it more and more, moving off the cloud and buying uh, your own hardware? Are you thinking about it or it's, it's not really uh, what you're looking at? I think that only makes sense once you hit a quite a big scale where you can have teams that are dedicated just for that and you as the main business don't have to worry about that, but you outsource that to like a sub team that knows what they're doing, have the right budget to do it and so on. In our case, it is a hefty bill, but we we don't have to worry about infrastructure. We don't have to worry about AWS going down, which surprisingly it did happen like a few times, but it's so rare that, uh, and, and when it happens, people know that it's not just social media that's down, it's like the whole half of the internet is down. Uh, so that's that's not of our problem. Right. Okay. All right. So uh, let's talk about your team a little bit. Uh, right. Uh, you are fully remote, but you went fully remote. Well, when the COVID hit, right? So was it mostly because of the COVID? Uh, because that was obviously what you had to do, or you've built up to it, and it was more of a conscious decision, just uh, just a bit sped up. It was mostly because of COVID, but. But we had everything in place already to go remote from one day to the other. And this happened because uh, even though, especially in the first years, everybody in the team was uh, in the same one office. Usually I was the odd uh, remote CEO uh, traveling around the world uh, and uh, working from wherever I was at, at that point because of mostly personal reasons. Um, but because of that, uh, we always had like a remote type of a culture where even though you would go in an office and you would see a lot of people in the office, 
it was silent except for from time to time a burst of laugh because somebody shared something on the random Slack channel, um, and and uh, and and that was funny. So also because we we had the services component that we wanted to productize uh, from the beginning, we had processes and procedures for all of the things. Uh, we had everything, even though uh, most of the team, uh, especially. Uh, starting uh, early on um, is from Romania uh, and uh, are in Romania. All of our documentation, everything was in, in English. Uh, so we always had an eye towards being able to work remotely, to work with people from all around the world and so on. So when COVID hit, we were among the first uh, companies in our city uh, because again, we were like following it closely. And at first, nobody knew a lot. There was like, it seemed that it's close to being the end of the world. So we wanted to make sure that our uh, employees are safe and that we also do our part for society. We sent everybody uh, home. And then after COVID started to not be a problem anymore, we asked our colleagues if they want to join uh, back to, a, to come back to an office. Many of them said yes, we did uh, get the rent again, but most of them don't want to come to an office actually. So we use that office from time to time to do events or to, to meet with the people that are in, uh, in our city. But since COVID, we also started hiring wherever. We didn't care about location anymore. We did have before that a few uh, people that were not in the same city with, uh, with the rest of the team. But after COVID, that was definitely not uh, an issue anymore. So now we are... Uh, a remote company that also has an office where people sometimes go go to. Okay. Do you have a, like a secret to to building a healthy um, company culture when all your um, employees are, are working remotely? I think we had uh, the benefit of starting uh, in person, and then that helped us build our culture. That helped us build. Uh, trust between ourselves and so on. And then when we went uh, remote, it was uh, much easier. But what we did in the last, uh, since COVID is, was not a big problem anymore, basically we're doing twice per year uh, retreats where we get everybody together. Those are the only like mandatory meetings throughout the year. And it's so funny to see people for the first time that you've only seen uh, on a screen or a, or a Zoom. And it's very powerful because you really get to know the people and you get to see, oh, when he says that or when she says that, it's actually not uh, a bad comment. It's just like they're more snarky or uh, they, they like to joke that way. Or uh, you really get to understand the person uh, behind the screen, which really builds a lot of trust. So this is something that we will continue to do at least twice per year. Uh, we have our upcoming retreat uh, in June, so we're looking forward uh, to that as well. Um, but... I think having fully remote, you, re you really need to uh, pay attention to the culture that you're building and to do it in a um, way where you're conscious about it and you build, um, you use tools maybe, but you build space to really uh, let that culture uh, develop and to guide it also to, to a culture that you would want to be a part of. Okay. And uh, are you guys completely synchronous or there are still, you know, some meetings, like you said, you know, the only two are mandatory, but are there other meetings like maybe within the marketing team or sales or engineers? We are trying to move to uh, a more asynchronous uh, way of working. Currently, we do have a few meetings usually around like more either leadership meetings or uh, or team meetings that happen on um, uh, on even stand up meetings, 
um, that we do uh, in, in some sub-teams. Uh, but we try as much as possible to not have to uh, to be all at the same time in front of the computer. And basically our general rule for our colleagues is do your work and uh, make sure that you don't uh, create problems for your colleagues because of your time differences and, and so on. So as long as that happens and there's common understanding, we don't care when you work or where you work from. Cool. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, and there is a, a random Slack channel, which makes it <laughs> a lot, a lot funnier to work. Yes. But uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of sending random memes. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's actually um, uh, one of the main things I regret from the in-person days because during the in-person days we also had like a lot of pictures from the uh, office which were turned into memes uh, and it's really funny to see like i know pictures from celebrations or just a, like a random meeting in the office and when somebody makes a face and then somebody turns that into a meme and we miss that uh and uh we don't have that anymore we still have some other memes but they're not as personal as they used to be Right. Oh, that's uh, that that's super cool. All right. Uh share them, you know. <laughs> I will I will uh post them as comments. All right. Um and uh, just a couple more questions. So, uh the one that I'm always getting is uh what's so far the biggest win and the biggest failure for you as the uh founder or maybe for a company? I think for 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 me personally, but for the company as well, the biggest win is once we passed a certain threshold where I felt like, okay, it's by now it's unlikely for us to die. Uh, because in the first uh, days as a, a bootstrapped uh, startup, we always like were struggling to to get the right talent on board because we were not able to, to pay enough money. We didn't have like the team was not... Um, robust enough or big enough for us to build everything that we wanted to build or to move as fast as we wanted to. And there's always room, like even now, I would want us to be uh, maybe slightly bigger so we can move even faster, but we're now in a good place where something really bad would have to happen for for uh, um, for us to, to die as a, as a startup. So we're in, a, we're in a good position now. And for me, even though it wasn't like a one-off specific moment, it was like a gradual you know, releasing of the stress somehow, both on me personally, but also on the business, um, which really for me was a, a big win. On the losses side, I mentioned like a few episodes where we had issues with um, uh, APIs. Uh, also, I remember like first time when somebody quit, I felt like I was personally betrayed and uh, it was the end of the world uh, to me. But uh, since then, we really just... Uh, started to recognize that all of these ups and downs are just part of the entrepreneurship uh, roller, roller coaster. And we've managed to uh, to survive all of the bad moments so far. So um, we're, we're hoping that we will continue to, to grow and to thrive. Uh, so there w isn't any like one big failure that would stand out. Okay. And, and that's, that's probably a very good sign. Uh, all right. And uh, my last question would be, you know, you're a SaaS company and uh, you're so active on social media, you're prob you probably know the industry very, very well. So what would be the company that you're really, and probably the founder too, that you're really looking up to and would maybe want to work with or invest in? Until you said uh, invest in, or because I know that's not a, a possibility, uh, I was thinking of Dan Martell. 
from the SAS Academy. Um, they are basically um, a very valuable resource for a SaaS provider like us. And I learned a lot through just following him on, on social media and through his videos and through his content. And it's, I think, um, a very clear uh, proof that even in the B2B space, if you put out a lot of value without like worrying about putting out too much value and without uh, worrying that, I know, somebody will steal your idea or steal your blueprints or whatever, uh, you can build a, a very big business uh, by just providing a lot of value because you will be able to capture uh, part of that value for yourself uh, as well. Right. Oh, and that reminds me, I actually have a friend, uh, sorry, I have a question from a colleague that uh, she really, really wanted me to ask. And <laughs> that's uh, something that you just mentioned. So as um, a new company, when you were just entering the business, weren't weren't you afraid like there are so many uh stories when for example facebook saw somebody building this small um small company with like this specific feature and they just you know took it and and then built it and everyone thought it's theirs uh weren't you afraid of something like that happening to social b and um how did you deal with that fear if it was in place well, in our space, uh, we have quite a lot of competitors, um, and it's it's more about um, just like with cars. Like uh, the number one uh, goal of a, a car is to take you from uh, point A to point B. But there are so many brands of cars because people have different preferences and pre uh, different needs. So we managed to find our own niche where uh, we focus a lot on on saving time, and we always try to strive through to improve our uh, uh, tools and our support and marketing and so on. And we offer this at a, at a fair price, at a good price. And we knew that it's also not a winner-takes-all type of market, where in social media, like the Facebooks of the world and so on, it's like, I don't know, five players uh, only playing at the top. And there's a big difference between player number one and player number two and three and, and, and so on. Um, so we knew that in this B2B space, it's not so much a, as a winner-take-all market, and it's not a problem if uh, we have some competition. Uh, competition is good. Uh, now, of course, um, also all of the big players um, have, uh, or most of the big players have their own scheduling uh, system built in, but they will always build it just for them, themselves. So Facebook has a possibility to schedule posts, but only on Facebook and, and Instagram. Um, Everybody has just for their own network, while us being a, a unifier and helping you manage all of your social presence from one unified uh, space, we always knew that there will be a need for that and the big players will never, never build that. It's more about competitors that we also have in our space that uh, have a similar functionality, but for that part, we, we just, uh, we, we see that the more we work, the luckier we get, the more customers uh, we get and so on. So we, we build our own flavor of what we think is needed based also on customer feedback. And it hasn't been something that kept me up at night. Uh, no. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for the answer. And uh, yeah. So what if somebody who's listening needs to find you or social B, where is the best place to do that? Yeah, so uh, basically, as I said, we're now socialbee.com. Uh, so they should just uh, visit us on socialbee.com. And me personally, they can always reach out to me. I'm ovi at socialbee.com uh, or also on, on social media, of course. 
Um, I'm, as I said, quite uh, responsive. So uh, please feel free to reach out. I love talking to fellow entrepreneurs and to uh, other people in this space. Uh, I'm always happy to even jump on a call or to share ideas. So please do reach out. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for the conversation. It's been great. Thank you too. It was great as well. Thank you. Take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.